everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today we are talking about The Suicide Squad. That's right, the new Suicide Squad movie that just came out last week, and uh, super excited to dive into this. I just finished watching it for a second time, and I actually liked it even more the second time than I did the first time, if that's possible. Uh, But before we dive in, I wanted to talk about a few things, uh, a brief quick little update around another movie that I actually saw. So um, for those of you keeping score out there, I was uh, decommissioned last week for uh, some family that was in town. So I was not uh, putting out any episodes, but I was watching movies. And uh, while it was a ton of great rewatches, me and the family went and saw The Green Knight uh, in theaters, which I would highly recommend you go check out. Uh, My brother loved it, and I also loved it. Uh, I will admit that I did fall asleep for a small, very small portion of the film. And uh, don't tell my family that, though. They'll never let me live it down. And by tell them, I mean remind them, because they know they saw me. I was there. But it was not <laughs> It was not because the film was boring. Uh, I just happened to be incredibly tired. So uh, completely, two completely different things, and it did not take away from the film, other than there were a couple bits that I was confused about, and my brother was quick to remind me that if I'd have been awake, I would have understood that part. But regardless... I had to, I have to give a shout out to this movie because originally I wasn't planning on going to see it if only because it was an A24 movie. I've made no secret that I love A24 films. Uh, but you know with with all of COVID and the you know the theaters and the Black Knight kept get, or the <laughs> Black Knight, the White Knight, the Green Knight kept getting pushed back and I was like, you know what? I'll just I'll watch it on streaming. But then I had seen a uh, and I don't do this often, but I saw a review of the film and it was like some of the highest praise that I've ever seen and the way that they were describing the movie made it feel like it was something right up my alley and when I saw it I knew yes 100% that's what it was it's very cerebral very surreal and uh it's it's like a it's like a play, I guess you could say. It's based off of, uh, you know, the Arthurian knight legends, but it's not made like a play. Like, it's 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 very hard to describe, and I think the way that I had tried to describe it was like Lord of the Rings meets uh, Nicholas Winding Refn or even like a Terrence Malick in some instances. Like, the, the film itself, the, the cinematography is incredible, the sound, the music the acting literally everything about it is perfect and uh, I, I would highly recommend you guys go check that film out let me know what you think on it uh, and I won't touch any more on that just because again this is about the suicide squad but I wanted to wanted to at least let you know yes your boy is out there he's going to the movies he's checking movies out he's looking at the films and he's trying to decide uh, what what the state of cinema is at this point and I gotta say guys, uh, we did not see Suicide Squad in theaters. I really wanted to, but our schedule just did not allow it, unfortunately. And I guess I could still go see it, but at this point, and this is where it's, a, I guess, a fascinating conversation is, uh, and, and this will be our kind of preview conversation before we dive into the meat of this episode, but really around Suicide Squad's box office and the, again, the state of cinema at this point. So I I don't have the exact numbers for Suicide Squad up right now, but I'm pretty sure it was like 26 million. It wasn't good. And that is both surprising and not surprising. So if you guys remember, 
Black Widow did really well in theaters, and I think there were a couple of others too. Obviously, Fast and the Furious, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong, and I was under the impression that this movie would do a lot better than it did. And there's so many factors at play right now, and I think the problem is, and something that's making me honestly really nervous for future films, is that people aren't really taking the virus seriously. And uh, it's funny to say that because <laughs> it's been more than a year now since uh, the since COVID has kind of affected the planet. And as you all know, Theaters were shut down for quite some time, and then they reopened, slow openings, all that jazz. And once everyone started getting vaccinated, I think movie theaters at that point, and I'm throwing myself in that lump, uh, thought that things would get better. And I wonder if that is because I am a movie kind of guy. I like to see the world through that lens. I like to think that when things are really bad, there's going to be a bright light at the end, that sort of thing. And I really did think that. I mean, there was a lot. Colorado, at least, has done a really good job of getting everybody vaccinated. I'm sure there's still a ton of people that aren't. But it was just surprising to see that so many still aren't being vaccinated or aren't getting vaccinated. And if you're in a position where you can't be vaccinated, you know, there's no controlling that. I wish you the best. But if you can, I would really advise you to get vaccinated. If, if you're able to do so, please do so. Uh, even though these new variants are coming out. And uh, it's funny, I was talking with my mom about this yesterday. I was like, you know, and I think I mentioned this on a very old episode, but I thought it was very in insane in a way that Marvel was able to capitalize on the pandemic through Avengers Endgame. And I thought you guys probably thought I was going to say Black Widow, but no, I, I, when the pandemic kind of hit and we were in the throes of it, I, I kept thinking to myself, this is essentially the plot of Avengers Endgame. Like we right now are living in the blip. We are, you know, half of the population is gone. Uh, you can see, you can check daily how many people have passed away from COVID complications or from the virus. And it just really felt like that, that dread and that three hour wait for, again, that light at the end of the tunnel when everything opens back up and all of the portals open and we start going back outside again. And I, I could talk a lot more on that, but I won't, but it didn't happen. We thought it would and it didn't. And now it's, you know, we're back into this, okay, you know, it's not as bad, but now the variants are here. <laughs> and I hope you see where I'm going with this, but you've got the Delta variant and, and you know, X, Y, and Z, and it's actually probably D, E, F, and G of the variants. But uh, of course, these variants would start coming around just as Loki premieres on Disney+. Plus. So like I said, I don't know what Marvel's doing and what, what uh, pots they have their hands in, but... It's like they can uh, kind of see the future, and it's funny because if I was them, and I guess right now, uh, you know, they're they're under Disney's watch. But if I could see the future, I would be focusing a lot more on streaming. And I I hate saying that, and I feel so bad saying that because of how much I love the movies. But there's there's a paradigm shift, and I think we saw that the minute that the pandemic happened, uh, the minute everything started closing, the minute that life literally changed. There were so many people talking about, I can't wait until we can get back to normal. And thankfully, there were a lot of people saying, no, there is no going back to normal. There is only the new normal and figuring out what this new normal is. And unfortunately, there's a lot of movie studios out there that still don't quite understand what that new normal is. 
and Disney is one of those. They released all of their Pixar movies straight to Disney+. Plus. They didn't even bother putting those on uh, in theaters. Not only that, they didn't even bother putting them as premiere access. Uh, but then they kept pushing back Black Widow uh, when they should have released that way sooner. And we've talked about that on the Black Widow episode. But regardless, now they're saying, okay, Shang-Chi is coming out in, November, in uh, September, but there's going to be no... Uh, premiere access for it. It's just going to be theatrical. And I think the Suicide Squad's uh, debut of being, in in a sense that, uh, but with a little twist, right? You know, HBO Max, it's available on there as well for completely free if you have a subscription. Otherwise, you could pay, I think it's, what, $15.99, $14.99, literally the price of a movie ticket, uh, to watch it in the comfort of your own home. And, and it's there's a lot of people out there myself included, who at times went to see a movie and thought, you know, ah, it would have been so much easier if I could have just seen this at the house. I didn't have to waste all my time driving to the theater, paying way too much money for popcorn, and then having a eh type of movie. And these studios don't seem to get that. There's a there's a lot that can be gained from these premiere access and, and you know, what have you. But with the Suicide Squad, it's a little different because HBO is not doing premiere access. So I wonder, why was that so low? Well, people could blame the Delta variant. I've heard people saying that that was a cause. Uh, it could also have just been that people didn't want to go to the movies this weekend. And it's funny because, again, this this should have been a no-brainer. You've got James Gunn writing and directing for, quote-unquote, the enemy, right? He's, he's working for the enemy because Disney burned him. And uh, I guess by enemy, I mean DC, not Warner Brothers, though I would argue that Warner Brothers is the bigger enemy. But uh, when you're comparing, you know, DC and Warner Brothers, I'm going to pick, or sorry, Disney and Warner Brothers, I'll pick Disney every day. And so the fact that Disney fired James Gunn, and he went and found greener pastures literally on the other side of the fence, of the comic book fence. Uh, and then Marvel or Disney realized what they'd done and brought him back in. Great. Everybody's happy, including the fans, because now we get to see what James Gunn has done in Marvel and in DC. And so I'm shocked that the box office didn't do so good. I was assuming, it, my guess was going to be around 40 to 50 million. That's kind of where I had pegged it, which is, again, insane, right? You know, in, in any other world, it would have probably broke 100, maybe 200 million, but we're just living in a new normal now. And I think uh, I'll be curious to see both what Warner Brothers does in the future because of this, and also how Disney and other studios react to this, because it's it's pretty telling when a movie like this, a movie that's been hyped for a really long time, and hyped on both sides. You've got the people who love James Gunn, the people who love G, uh, DC, but then there's also the the James Gunn haters who are like, I can't believe you went to DC, or but I gotta see this movie so I can talk trash about it. Like you would think this would be the kind of movie that would bring a ton of people to the theater to try and you know stir up that sort of drama, and it, it didn't really happen. And maybe maybe their numbers are really good with uh. With with Warner Brothers on HBO Max, we don't know. Uh, they're not. They haven't released them yet, though. They said they were really good. But when's the last time you believed anything a studio said? So send me the numbers, send me the data. We can compare it at that point. All I'm saying is it's going to be interesting when movies like Shang-Chi come out. Uh, are they going to switch and make it uh, also day and date on Premier Access? I don't know because that's what their contract was was for a 45-day window. So with that out of the way. 
Uh, I just want to say I wish this movie had done better because I loved this movie. This movie was so good, and I can't wait to dive in and talk about it. Uh, Again, James Gunn wrote and directed this, and you can tell he poured his heart into this movie just the same way that he poured his heart into all of the other films that he's been working on, and really glad to see him getting to stretch his legs, honestly, for a different studio that allows him to stretch his legs this way, right? Like, uh, Marvel and uh, Disney, I guess you could say, they let him do whatever he wanted in, in a sense with the Guardians movies, and that's fantastic. Like they, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, I can't remember who I was talking about this with. Around, uh, oh no, this was actually in uh, my good buddy Brian's uh, podcast for the uh, United We Fan and uh, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos. I actually was lucky enough to be on that podcast. Uh, it was a uh, YouTube, actually, YouTube Live, with uh, two of my other friends, Jim and Anthony. And funny enough, you can find Anthony at uh, episode 181 that we did of Fear Street. So, Anthony, there's your call out if you're listening. But on that uh, live stream, which, again, you can find on YouTube, uh, Earth's, Earth's Mightiest Weirdos, and we were talking about Marvel hot takes. And one of those hot takes that we were talking about, uh, and I think, I don't remember if a fan had brought it up or if uh, one of us did, but it was basically that the MCU would not be the way that it is without James Gunn. Without him, without that Guardians of the Galaxy movie, the, the, there would be no real MCU. And, and it's an interesting argument in the words that I'm saying because, yeah, there probably still would have been an MCU, but I see what they're saying. James Gunn has such a way with making films where anytime you watch them, you're like, oh, that's James Gunn. You could probably pick it out if you didn't know. And he really put a beautiful twist on the Guardians film. It was creative. It was wacky. It was wild characters. An amazing, uh, I think almost Grammy winning, I might be wrong on that, but chart topping for sure soundtrack on the movie literal great action and more most importantly i would say amazing characters and character development and that is the exact same thing that this movie is and what's so amazing about james and uh kind of my thoughts on this my overall thoughts is while this is a superhero movie about a ragtag team of idiots the same exact movie as guardians of the galaxy in that regard these two movies couldn't be more different and more the same at the same time. So hats off to James Gunn for being able to make something that he wanted to make, something that feels different than his prior movies, but also has that same James Gunn flair. And that's my review. So thank you guys so much for No, I'm kidding. So uh, this film, uh, I want to first talk about all of the actors in this movie. Uh, there are so many. There are so many characters. And I think this is one of the uh, great pieces about this film is James Gunn's not afraid to let a couple people die. So before I jump into the synopsis of this movie, uh, obviously, spoilers ahead. If you have not seen this movie, I do not want to spoil anything for you. Trust me, I got spoiled a ton for this. I don't get what is going on with the internet and why everyone feels the need to publicly show and confirm that they saw this film by spoiling it for other people. But I want to give you guys that out. So if you have not seen it, pause this, go watch it, come back, 
trust me, you do not want to be spoiled for this movie because it is so fun. And so much of that fun comes from the surprises uh, that that you don't see if you've only seen maybe one of the trailers. I'm not sure. I came into this movie pretty, uh, pretty, I don't know what the word is, wet behind the ears. I, uh, I'd seen the original trailer and that was it. But for some reason, on Friday, and I, like I said, I really tried to see this movie Thursday night when it came out, but by Friday morning, everyone was posting spoilers, and I, again, I'm just thinking, this is crazy, like, we live in a world where we can't even go to the movies, and even if we wanted to, like, we're gonna get spoiled before we even go to the movies. I had people saying uh, on Twitter, oh, my favorite part of this film was the Harley scenes, like, oh my god, Meanwhile Harley is one of the most perfect things ever, and I'm like, what is Meanwhile Harley? And when that scene came on in the film, uh, I kind of got a little upset. I was like, oh, this would have, like, it made me, I don't know, I feel like when you know certain things in advance, even something like that, that's not really a spoiler, but you're spoiling somebody's experience of the movie. So again, I already warned you guys that there are spoilers and that's one of them, but there were multiple other ones, people talking about, I don't know, maybe I'll touch on it as we go through the synopsis. But before we do, like I said, let's hit on these characters and I'm just going on IMDb. So the movie actually kicks off and opens with James Gunn's favorite buddy, Michael Rooker, uh, guardian number one. And we're going to keep a tally on this. That's the first guardian uh, or person, I guess you could say, from the Guardians of the Galaxy's movies uh, playing Savant, who is in a jail and he is bouncing a ball around just like I imagine Yondu would in a jail, throwing his arrow around at all the walls, which regardless was still really cool. I loved seeing that. I'm a big fan of physics in that regard, playing pool, bouncing things off of walls, and so him doing that was cool. But the minute that he took that bird out, I said, buddy, I don't know if I'm a big fan of you, and we get that comeuppance later, which was great. Uh, But we find out now, we see uh, Amanda Waller comes in, Viola, Viola Davis, who did a great job, and I was going to, I was actually going to mention this at the beginning before I got into this, and it's funny, I don't even think I'm going to bother with it in terms of comparing this movie to the prior Suicide Squad movie. Uh, I'm certainly not diving into the details of that. I haven't seen Suicide Squad fully since I saw it in theaters. Uh, I did watch it one time after, which I turned off after 20 minutes because that movie is terrible. And to see some of these characters come back, we had known that they were going to be bringing some of them back. I loved that idea, especially when this movie being not a sequel is really cool to see that, okay, it's it's a different Suicide Squad. We still have some of the characters from the universe, but this is a completely different thing. This is a different movie. I mean, why? if this was a sequel, why would they call it the exact same title of the movie? They would call it Suicide Squad 2. So if anything, this is a soft reboot, and I love that they've got these characters in here. So Viola Davis completely chewing up the screen every time she is on. Love to see that. She does a really good job getting mad. And because this movie's rated R, we get to see her swear a bunch, which was really fun. Uh, And no, I won't be repeating any of those words on this episode. But we've got him. And from there, we see that she's putting together another team, another Suicide Squad. We get to see Colonel Rick Flagg, played by Joe Kinnaman, who's back and honestly better than ever. Uh, really bummed at the ending that he got here, and bummed in a good way, because I think it was a, a, a good ending for him, but by that point, I was like, I was sold on him. I, I was not a huge fan of him in, in the original movie, 
and it just they they made him so much better they gave him so much more heart and some great scenes uh that we'll dive into with that uh but from there he's he's telling uh savant you know oh we're we're we don't prefer being called suicide squad we're task force x it's like dude whatever you want to call it you guys are on suicide missions but we find out at this point they are getting flown to corto maltese which is a fictional island made up in, um, I guess all island names are made up, but the island it really is made up, and they're taken there. We don't really know what they're doing. It's very covert, very hush-hush. Uh, at this point, you can kind of just tell that Amanda Waller is just using them as uh, fuel. So they land, or before they land, though, we're in, a, we're in the plane, and we kind of get to see a little bit of this this new Suicide Squad. And I know, I know, that was one of the things that I got spoiled on too, was I can't believe they killed so many people at the beginning of the movie. And it was like, cool, so does that mean I don't get to enjoy anything about this movie? Like, all I can do is anticipate when the scenes come that you told me about on, uh, you know, whatever social media site you, you'd pick, take your pick. Uh, but it was still nice to see. And so we get to see multiple characters. We get to see Captain Boomerang, played again by Jai Courtney. It uh, doesn't get a lot of work here, but he gets a great send-off, I would say. We'll talk about that. Uh, Javelin by Flula Borg, who is... Uh, it's funny, I was watching him in the movie, and I'm like, God, where is he from? I know where he's from. I just can't place it. And I'm not even clicking on his thing. I'm just seeing his headshot on IMDb. And he is... And I'm going to confirm it. He is from Pitch Perfect uh, as one of the, yep, 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 Pitch Perfect, he plays one of the German singers in Pitch Perfect too. He did great, I mean, for what he had. Mongol, uh, played by Mei Ling Ning, and she is an alien, uh, pretty cool. Pete Davidson, playing Blackguard, who is kind of like a dead shot, I guess you could say, with that, I mean, we don't really even get to see much about Blackguard, uh, but then we also get Weasel, who is played by, uh, and I just saw this here, Sean Gunn, classic, right? Now, Sean's played, Sean has played a raccoon, Sean has played a weasel, uh, all we need now, and I'm, I'm praying that we get to hear about this, some secret 10 years down the line that James Gunn reveals that Sean Gunn played all of the rats. Uh, because that I think would be, be the perfect pin in it, or maybe actually I, I hope Sean Gunn is a part of the Stuart Little sequel, the Stuart Little reboot that's going to be coming. It's a James Gunn movie. It's uh, Stuart Little versus, um, God, uh, I was going to say the Mouse from Mouse Hunt, but I don't think that Mouse wants to fight anymore. He's happy uh, working with String, so I would say he has to. He's forced to fight Ratatouille. And I hate even saying that because I love Ratatouille. But guys, I gotta warn you in advance. Uh, if you're already thinking, man, he's he's he has just now quickly listed off at least four different rats. Uh, get ready because for those of you that don't know, and for those of you <laughs> that don't know these stories, uh, I'm gonna be telling them throughout this episode. Uh, I have a history with rats and mice, and uh, some of you may know that, some of you may not. We're gonna find that out. But all I have to say is, by the end of this movie, I was smiling from ear to ear because it's been a long time since my rats have gotten their day in court. They've gotten their day in the sun. And I think by the end of this movie, you all know what happens at the end of this movie. There is a a, rac- a ratkening that happens at uh, Corto Maltese. 
mouse tease for those of you who are keeping score. Uh, but we're going to move on from that. Don't worry. We'll come back. Uh, we got Margot Ro- Robbie, also Harley Quinn. Who who would have guessed, right? Like, uh, I actually rolled my eyes at this before the movie came out just because there's a, uh, oh, what's it called? An embarrassment of riches in a sense. And I think too much of a good thing can often not be a good thing. And I, you know, I don't agree with this, but I think a lot of people pointed that out with Iron Man 2. Of like, oh my god, we just saw Iron Man a couple a couple years ago or last year. Whatever the case may be, when people see a lot of something, if it isn't that good, uh, they don't like it. And that has happened quite a bit with DC films. And I, I thought that was coming with her. And I say that because she did good in Suicide Squad, the original. And uh, while I didn't like the movie, like I liked her in it. Every movie that she has been in since then, which I think might just be Birds of Prey and this movie. I'm, I hope I'm, I'm wrong on that. There's got to be another DC movie that she was in. Uh, but, she, I mean, she's been in everything. Uh, I'm going to quickly check on this. And, uh, nope, yeah, so just Suicide Squad and then Birds of Prey. Her performances have gotten better and better every single time. Like I said, I came into this movie being like, here we go. We're going to get the Harley Quinn essentially to me felt like Deadpool in that. Oh, you know, she, the, the sassy, almost fourth wall breaking, all that sort of stuff. But then when Birds of Prey came out, I was like, oh, I actually really like Harley Quinn. And Margot Robbie is killing it as Harley Quinn. It's like she's finally, finally coming into herself. And now with this movie... I almost need to go rewatch Birds of Prey because I'm wondering if if that movie did her a disservice because James Gunn put her in the most perfect positions and he almost did it on purpose in a sense. I was thinking like, James, did you read my mind that you were like, hey, in case you were worried that uh, that Harley was going to be you know, under you utilized or just be kind of the eye candy in the corner, have no fear because every scene that she's in she steals the scene and especially as the movie goes on but she's on the plane as well and i think those are all of the people on the plane oh no and then uh d d uh tdk who is a uh, played by nathan fillion and he is also super weird and uh, we find out more about him Uh, but again great little set of suicide squad Obviously, a bunch of them die, and we get into some of the other Suicide Squad members as well. And so I'm going to dive into them right now before we kind of get into the movie. But that is, um, you got Idris Ilba playing Bloodsport, John Cena playing Peacemaker, Daniela Melchior playing Ratcatcher 2, and then uh, along with her rat, Sebastian. So add him to the list of favorite rats. Sebastian voiced by D. Bradley Baker and played by both Jaws, ironic and crisp rat uh so great call outs there we also get david dasmalkian playing polka dot man and sylvester salone as the voice of king shark that's right guys for those of you that saw king shark and flash and thought i need more don't worry this movie satisfies and for those of you that are are in on trivia uh one of my favorite guys that we're actually going to dive into uh in a bit is uh actually does the um what's it called the the he's the onset king shark his name is steve a ag aggie who plays john economos uh who's one of the silent heroes i would say 
Oh, and he's also in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 as Jeff, G-E-F, who I would not be surprised is one of the Ravagers, uh, just because I don't recognize him, so he was probably in a bunch of makeup. Uh, but also, every single one of them were fantastic. I It's been a long time since I've seen, uh, especially a DC film, where I liked the entire squad. There's usually one or two people in the movie that are okay or not good at all. And so here I was just blown away. I don't know uh, if James Gunn had his hand in the casting, but uh, Yanivia Cardenas and John Papsidera, they did the casting on this. Hats off to them. Great job. Also music by John Murphy, cinematography by Henry Bram, and produced by a lot of people. Uh, and I'm not going to call them out because they're not paying me. So uh, those are all the characters that we have. And a, again, a fantastic cast, a suicide squad uh, of the highest order. So um, like I said, I'm, and I'm, I took a bunch of notes as I was uh, reading and watching. Uh, the biggest thing, the first thing I put on here was the movie opens with John, is it John? No, I was going to say John Walker. It's uh, Johnny Cash. And I'm not sure what the song is. But I, it was okay. But immediately as it played, I was like, eh, I'm not as big a fan of this soundtrack as the Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack. But in that same vein, I'm glad that James was able to differentiate both soundtracks so much. A completely different soundtrack from the Guardians soundtrack, but still that James Gunn flair where anytime a song comes on, you're like, ah, there you are, James. I see you. I see you picking those, those songs. Uh, okay, so Waller is brutal at this point. You know, she's she's inserting uh, explosive devices into everybody's head, and basically does not care about any of them. And I I loved that, but at the same time, I hated it. And I loved also that her uh, her admins. I don't know what else to call them, but the people that work for Waller, they hate it too. And James made a really good call of constantly showing them upset with the decisions that Amanda's making. Because she's a monster. She's a terrible person. And yeah, she's trying to get things done. And and you're obviously having to rely on your memory of the prior Suicide Squad movie and anything else you maybe know about Amanda Waller. Because she has no background in this movie. And again, Viola Davis killed it. But all they are making Amanda out to be in this film is like a horrible person. And that's fine because she gets what she deserves at the very end. But yeah, I was freaking out here of, uh, oh yeah, I, I said Weasel, and I said Rick Flagg's voice. So when he's like sharing with Savant all of the people, he's like, that's Boomerang, Blackguard, Mongol, Weasel. And I was just, the way that he said Weasel, I thought it was so great. And then he's got, you got TDK, and they're like, what, what does TDK stand for? He's like, that's my name. He's like, your name is, is letters? He, I, I think Boomerang was like, all names are letters or something like that. Like classic Thor line from uh, Infinity War. I wonder if that was a, a James twist. But we find out later, TDK stands for the Dark Knight. Uh, no, I'm kidding. TDK stands for the Detachable Kid. And uh, we find that out in really weird form uh, by the end of this. And so they're, they're approaching Corto Maltese. And there's a great bit now where the, you know, the admins are all taking bets on who's going to die. And Amanda comes in and is like, what are you all doing? And he says, you know, it's just, it's just our normal casual morning meeting. And, uh, I don't know. There's just so many, the, the comedy in this was really funny. I haven't laughed this much in a superhero movie in a long time. Sorry, Marvel. Uh, but Weasel, they're, they're all jumping out of the, the plane 
to land on the coast, kind of like a D-Day type of situation. And Weasel falls in and immediately drowns, and I loved that. And just the, you know, Rick Flagg's like, I think Weasel agreed to do this. Like, I think he agreed to do this because we can't understand him. He's a freaking weasel. Uh, Everything was great. But then we see what we haven't seen in a long time, which is somebody really showing you how expendable b and c and d list characters are in a movie we just see death after death after death so we find out blackguard betrayed the team and dies he gets his head blown off tdk sucks because he doesn't really know what he's doing he stands up in the middle of this fight detaches his arms that start like slapping people he eventually dies uh mongol takes on a chopper that's there and basically blackguard betrayed everybody by um, alerting the corto maltese military so there's just a ton of military people there fighting them but mongol takes on the chopper crashes it onto the ground and dies the blade of the chopper uh, and I guess some of the debris, the shrapnel, kills Boomerang, uh, so he dies. But Boomerang also gets a really cool scene in here where he actually gets to throw his boomerang and it cuts a guy's head in half, uh, which is kind of what we were wanting from the first movie. Javelin dies. He gets shot by a bunch of people. Savant tries to leave, and he dies. And there's a great bit in here, too, with Javelin. He hands Harley um, his javelin and says, you know, that you're the only person worthy of this. But then he says, carry it for, and doesn't answer. And Harley's like, carry it for who? Carry it for who? And I, I was thinking like, she probably just says carry it for me sort of thing. But I didn't take it as anything more than that. But just in that beautiful film sense, uh, Savant's head gets blown up in the ocean and the blood uh, turns into Warner Brothers Presents. And I loved that. And we see then the Suicide Squad. And we see the actual Suicide Squad, which is a second group that is coming on a different part of the island. And it is, it's those others. It's uh, Bloodsport, Ratcatcher, and um, Sebastian, King Shark, Peacemaker, and Polka Dot Man. Uh, super cool. Loved that. But then we get another, we get hit with the, uh, oh, a bird. I got to call this out. A bird lands on Savant perfect karma starts starts eating at his face and uh, then we get a flashback to three days earlier and i loved the transitions in this movie i know a lot of people did the again meanwhile harley is a big one there was you know now three days earlier uh, and we'll call them out as they go through but we find out through this kind of the background of blood blood sport uh, mr dubois who has a daughter played by storm reed and she uh, she does a good job, I thought. She doesn't have a lot of scenes, but the scenes that she does have, she's good. She's, I guess, she's good as a little daughter. I don't think she had a lot to work with, but she did the best with what she had, so I'm certainly not complaining. Um, but so she's talking with her dad, and, uh, you know, I loved this conversation between the two of them where uh, he's like, I hate you. She's like, I hate you too. You're bad. Like, it's a great relationship in that way that they hate each other and totally different from what I was expecting, you know, when you're visiting your father in prison, being like, I'm going to get you out, dad. I'll never forget you. And it's like, okay, (laughs) nope, she hates him. And it's all because she stole a a watch that's like an Apple watch or something. It was a great bit. Uh, so she's Waller comes to the prison and tries to convince Dubo to work for her, and obviously she, he doesn't want to. 
but she then threatens Dubo with her his daughter and says, you know, if you don't help me, we're going to have your daughter tried as an adult. And again, John's looking up at her like, what the hell? Like, she's kind of going over the edge. And I love this. We keep, again, we keep planting these seeds. John and the crew, the admins, they, uh, they want nothing to do with Amanda Waller. But she's like, I need you to lead this team. And he says, I'm not a leader. And she says, then I will make you one. And I love that. That's all she says. And he's like, okay, fine, I'm in. I was like, okay. Uh, so then we see and get him introduced in the jail to the other uh, characters. So we get to see Peacemaker, who is described basically the same as Bloodshot, Bloodsport. Uh, he has a bit where he's explaining about you know smaller bullets, and uh, that comes into play later on in the movie. We meet King Shark Nanawe, who is incredible, just so funny. And this opening bit, I I was like, oh no, are they going to be all like this? Like I wasn't a huge fan of the opening. Oh, I'm, you know, a dumb shark that doesn't know how to read. But almost every single line after that, I cracked up at. I thought he was amazing. We see Ratcatcher 2, which is uh, a lady who can control rats. And again, uh, who wouldn't want to control rats? Look, I'm going to put, I'm going to put this out here right now. I'm going to talk a lot about rats on this episode, but I do not like rats. So I don't know who uh, is spreading these rat rumors around. Uh, I don't even know if there's actually any being spread, but I, if I had to choose between literally anything and a rat, I would pick anything else unless it was like dying. I mean, I, I'd let a rat crawl on me if it prevented me from dying, I guess, but you know, I'm not in in the I have taken my glasses off. You guys can't see me. I'm getting I'm getting worked up about this for no absolute reason besides your guys' entertainment. But if I had to pick in the animal kingdom, like my favorite animals, a rat wouldn't even make it into like the. I don't even think it would make it into like the top twenty five. So look, all I'm saying is rats are cool. Uh, they're cool in concept. They're cool as ideas. But in real life, rats are messed up, and we're gonna you're gonna see that. I've had some bad experiences with rats in my life, uh, ruining my car, ruining my life, and uh, and et cetera, et cetera. And I apologize. Uh, I think that's going to end up being the only tangent on this episode is me talking about rats. But we meet Sebastian the rat, super cute. He's waving, and we soon find out that Bloodsport does not like rats. Uh, not as I, I like rats more than Bloodsport likes rats, but uh, it's not about me; it's about him. And uh, then we meet Abner, who is the polka dot man, and uh, again, just just insane. Like these characters, I, I just I know this is this was James Gunn's dream. He was inches away from a team like this in Marvel with Guardians of the Galaxy. And he could have, you know, it would have been interesting for him to do like the Thunderbolts because it's essentially the same as the Suicide Squad. But uh, just cool to see him. I I know for a fact they they told they they announced that Warner Brothers they said they let James Gunn do whatever he wanted. So I can just see him pulling up a list of like who are the most lesser known DC villains. I need a handful of them that I can kill right off the bat, and I need another handful that are so weird and out there. I just need to see if I can make people love them. And I know, I know that's what he's thinking because every movie of his, all of the characters are people where you like, and everyone says this, oh, James Gunn uh, taught us all how to love a talking tree and raccoon. And it's like, yeah, yeah, he did. But that there's, there's a deeper thing behind that is his ability to convey character growth and character development to us on screen through these characters 
and it doesn't make sense. Like, it shouldn't work. A guy who shoots polka dots out of his hands, a lady who controls rats, it just, it shouldn't work on paper, but James Gunn's paper is gold, and he writes with a gold pen, and that's what we see. And now, we get a guy yelling at uh, Polka Dot Man saying, hey, why don't you come to my daughter's birthday party? And it's Sean Gunn. And I didn't notice this on the first viewing. I didn't even notice it on the second viewing. But when I was looking at the IMDb list, it said that he played Weasel and Calendar Man. And I was like, wait a minute, Calendar Man? So I went, I literally, before this recording, I just pulled up HBO Max on my computer because that's the power of streaming. And uh, yeah, he's got all of the dates uh, tattooed or they're in marker all across his head, uh, which is pretty cool. I, I'm a big fan of Calendar Man. I haven't seen him a lot, but I, I like what he stands for. He's uh, he's big on dates, and uh, now I'm not talking about the fruit. So from here, we learn about uh, we kind of the groups together, and Amanda Waller is filling them in, and we learn about Jodenheim. Another Marvel call. Another Marvel call out. That's oh, and well, sorry. So I messed up a bunch of stuff. So Sean Gunn, uh, that is another Guardian, uh, and I, we're gonna even move this into Marvel Terry. We got Idris Ilba as Heimdall. That's another one. Uh, Desmalkian as uh, I don't remember his name, but he is from the Ant Man series. And Nathan Fillion, while not yet in MCU, he is playing Wonder Man in a poster in a behind-the-scenes. Uh, also, King Shark again is being voiced by uh, Sylvester Stallone, who is also in a Guardians movie. So we are now up to seven. And I will really quickly buzz through the rest of these. I don't think any of the other ones are a part of it. Man, but while I was watching it, guys, I would kill to see Margot Robbie or John Cena in a marvel movie who's with me uh, i think that would be super cool i have no idea what they would be but i just know they 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 shine and everything that they're in so we learn about jodenheim jodenheim is a facility in corto maltese that is hiding something called project starfish that uh, amanda gives them information on it's like an old secret military project and gray this guy named gaia graves um the thinker help will help them get in who we, I'm sure many of you know from the comics. I wasn't familiar. He reminded me a little bit of, I think his name was Johnny Ohm in the Marvel uh, video game, The Rise of the Imperfects. Uh, also reminded me a bit of the leader, but again, you know, all the DC characters and Marvel characters end up mishmashing. Uh, there's a great, fantastically delivered line here from John Cena, who says, excuse me, Amanda, starfish is a slang term for butthole? think there's any connection <laughs> she's like oh my god and so then we get the next we get another cool cutaway that goes to now and so they're back on the beach and they're they're searching they're heading to jodenheim and we get a bunch of great uh just great lines between all of them as they're walking through the woods uh john cena says if i was asked to eat a beach full of dicks for liberty i'd do it and uh, Ratcatcher's like, why would that even be a thing? And she sa he says, who knows why madmen do what they do? And then as this is happening, Polka Dot Man is starting to get polka dots on his face that are coming out. And he's just like so casually says, it's just a rash. And it's like, dude, no, it's not. There's no way. And so then as it goes along, we find out, you know, Bloodsport has a rat phobia, which somehow shocks Amanda Waller. And I'm like, okay, why is it that big a deal? Obviously, he's going to get over it. King Shark tries to eat Rat Catcher. Peacemaker is wearing nothing but his underwear. And Polka Dot Man is throwing up. 
uh, polka dots, and that's all within the span of like five minutes. So again, if you needed another reason, if you if you did not pause this and you're being spoiled by all of this, this is where you should pause it and turn it on and watch it. Uh, so from here though, Ratcatcher becomes friends with King Shark. That was really great, and then they have to go get Rick Flag. So now from the prior group, we find out Rick Flag and Harley are both still alive, uh, assumed to be still alive at this point. And we get to the rescue of Rick Flag, which is uh, one of my favorite parts of this movie. Honestly, most of the fight scenes and uh, Harley sequences are my favorite parts of this movie. But he says, nothing like a bloodbath in the morning. And Ratcatcher's like, I thought your name was Pete. I thought you were Peacemaker. He says, I cherish peace with all my heart. And I don't care how many men, women, and children I need to kill to get it. Uh, just great. And then we get this this machismo fight between uh, Bloodsport and uh, and Peacemaker as they're killing all of these people in this camp, uh, you know, shooting guns behind their backs and uh, exploding bodies and just them going back and forth, him like hacking at the guy who's sleeping in the tent. I got to tell you, seeing this movie for a second time, uh, made that scene very dark uh, because all of the people that are in there, we find out, are the freedom fighters. And Rick Flagg was, in a sense, rescued by them. So uh, very embarrassing for all of them. I mean, you, get, you see King Shark eating somebody. And we find out, you know, the leader of the Freedom Fighters is in there with Rick. And she agrees to help all of them. And we now, we then, we get a flashback sort of, you know, switch scene where we see the thinker talking with the new leaders of Corto Maltese. So Amanda Waller explains that the reason they're going in to do all of this is because a coup happened recently. And this guy uh, by the last name of Luna, uh, he uh, and his brother, cousin, um, you know, compatriot, they both take over and kill the regime that was there before. And so Amanda is basically telling them Project Starfish cannot get into their hands. It would be bad for the U.S. It would be bad for the world. And we find out here, though, and uh, this is through the thinker, uh, explaining to those new regime leaders uh, as they watch kind of a video that Project Starfish is actually an alien life form from space, a starfish that lived in space that the Americans brought onto their spaceship to bring back down to Earth that spreads by taking over people's minds. Super scary. Like it, it, it spreads these tiny starfish that stick onto your face and completely turn you into into a corpse, which is uh, both good for the killing piece of this movie, where you're not actually killing a bunch of people, but also so sad and so messed up. And it just, it was wild. I, I was not expecting that, and at the same time sort of was, because I'm like, Project Starfish, is that about a starfish? But the fact that it's this alien life form, I had no idea that was coming. I was not spoiled, thank God. And then we get Meanwhile Harley. And so we find out what Harley has been up to. And so she, uh, and the first time I watched this, I thought that it was her hallucinating all of this. What I don't know if that would have been uh, better or not, but everything about this uh, vignette is perfect. It feels like it's fake, but this is, it's such a gun type thing. Like not only do we get to see Harley living her best life in this montage, like all these classic Harley bits of her, the way she's acting, the way she's talking. Not only that, it furthers the story uh, by taking out the bad guy really quick, uh, but it also makes the movie feel like 
uh, kind of all over the place in a really good way. Like, okay, what now? Like, the bad guy just got killed, and we're maybe 30 minutes, 20 minutes into this movie? And not only that, on top of all of that, fantastic character development for Harley, uh, learning about her luck with men. Uh, and it's funny because, uh, so she, basically Luna invites her over, has her get in this beautiful dress, and is courting her and says, like, I want to marry you, uh, but he wants to do it because he's trying to garner support for uh, for his regime because a lot of people don't like him, but they like Harley. She symbolizes anti-American fervor. And, you know, they, they get all, you know, down and dirty. They're breaking, they break into a gun case. They break a vase and they knock candles off of a table that light a, a, a rug on fire. So funny. And she's like, hmm, Harley Luna. Uh, I liked that name. But uh, we find out through all of this too that not the Nazis actually built Jodenheim to continue experimenting on things until the prior regime, the Herreros, killed all of the Nazis and then the Herreras were the ones who did it and now he has done that so he starts saying that's what I'm gonna do anybody who's against my regime I will kill everyone and everyone they love and he turns around and Harley shoots him in the chest and it was a shocker in the best way like if I had been in I I I cheered at home but if I'd have been in theaters that had to have been like a theater scream type moment uh, she says the next time I told my, she's like, I told myself the next time I got a boyfriend and I, this is a bad, uh, what is that called? A bad interpretation, bad accent. But she says, I'd be on the lookout for red flags and I'd murder him. Uh, and she says, uh, basically like, you know, saying that you're going to kill kids, that's a pretty big red flag. And so then he dies and she's like, oh, but you know, I'm, I regret, you know, you just have the most perfect body. But she says, I think you're more pretty like this with all those rotten thoughts in your head. And I just loved that line. I thought that was brilliant. And then we get to see the general that it replaces him, his little side guy, killing a bunch of birds. Uh-uh, dude, that guy needs to go, and he will go. Uh, but from there, we move, and we, we are back with the polka dot man. Uh, and I'm just I'm jumping off of my notes here. I'm not sure if that's the exact next scene, but I just I love this. He he explains what his powers are. Uh, he's got an interdimensional virus. His mom was a scientist at Star Labs. Wanted them to be a superhero. Him and his brothers and sisters. He has to expel the dots twice a day, or they will eat him alive. <laughs> and so they say we should they're like, where's your mom? And he says everywhere, which is insane because does that mean she's dead? Is she alive? I have no idea. This is just really wild. And then from there, the uh, the freedom fighter leader explains to them that they have she has a contact that can drive them into town. And we get my favorite song of the entire movie, which is uh, Point of No Return by Kansas. This was one of my favorites in high school. So to hear this uh, on the TV was great. We get introduced to Milton, who is the new member of the team. And he kind of uh, helps them out, and they have to infiltrate Jodenheim and uh, kind of just infiltrate the town because they're all wearing their superhero costumes. So they've got disguises. And this part was so great. King Shark's like, I'll wear a disguise. And uh, Ratcatcher's like, you're going to wear a disguise? And he says, see? And she, he's like, oh, you know Spanish now, which is great because, you know, they're in Argentina. Uh, but he, he wants a fake mustache. And it's like, oh, my God, like that whole bit was great. And then he swears and walks off. I, w I was in stitches. I, I thought that was great. Uh, so as they're riding the bus, getting into town, we get a great conversation between uh, 
Rick Flag. We get a great conversation between Bloodsport and Ratcatcher and kind of talking about, you know, oh, you remind me a bit of my daughter. He says, he says, you have daddy issues. And I loved this. She says, I have no issues with how much I loved my father. Like, James Gunn could have done anything with these characters and a a character like this who's kind of grungy, you know, in jail. Yeah, every other movie is going to write them as as somebody having daddy issues or mommy issues. And I love that she didn't. And I love that he chose not to do that because that's, again, just an an easy out for anyone else. And And James doesn't take the easy out in a lot of these cases. So she says... Uh, you know, we get a little flashback of her sleeping with rats. Uh, no, no, thank you. Uh, didn't realize that it was Taika during these flashbacks the first time that I watched it. Like, I had no idea until the last flashback where we actually see him. Uh, and But watching it a second time, I was like, oh, I should have known this. Uh, and she says, as imp- and, and uh, Bloodsport starts explaining why he doesn't like rats. His father was also very, his father was very abusive. And uh, at one point, he locked Bloodsport in a crate with hungry rats, he says, which, yeah, I guess that would develop a phobia of rats. I would be the exact same way. Uh, But she says to him, as imperfect as my father was, he loved me. I wish that I could give that to you. And he says, I'm going to get you out alive. And she says, I'm going to get you out alive. Uh, which is funny because they both kind of get each other out alive. But just to, again, this could have been just some fun banter on the bus. And instead, uh, James Gunn decided to go a little deep on us. And I liked that. So they show up at a club and shout out to another Guardian of the Galaxy. This is number eight. Uh, or I guess you could say of the Avengers or Marvel characters. Uh, but we get Palm Clementif. And uh, she is a dancer uh, on the stage, which is funny. When I first watched the movie, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, is she going to be in this movie more? I hope so. And she wasn't. But then I saw an article that said James Gunn is, like, freaking out that no one has seen or caught his Guardians of the Galaxy, this Guardians of the Galaxy Easter egg. And it made me get really mad because I was like, you know, one of the biggest things I'm sure all of you are aware of is that James Gunn is really big on Easter eggs. He has this thing, and I don't think people have figured it out yet. There's apparently an Easter egg in the Guardians and Guardians 2 movies, and he's always, you know, bragging about how no one has figured it out. So when I saw that article, I was like, dude, who cares? Like, who, who, why are you doing this? Is this like a publicity thing? But then when I actually clicked on the article, it was that it was Palm, that she was in this movie. And I was like, wait, what? So no one noticed that she was in this movie? Is that because she looks completely different as Mantis? I don't know. I've seen her in a lot of things recently, so I caught her really quickly. But I was surprised that that was the thing he thought was wild that no one noticed. Um, but yeah, so they they get they sit down at the table, and I loved this scene too. This was a great bonding scene between the entire group, which, again, in anyone else's hands, I feel like the scene would have ended very prematurely, and they really wouldn't have gotten to have fun. But instead, we get to see a great dancing scene. Uh, they bring drinks to the table, and John Cena gets to say, Hey, Ch- hey Chica, you forgot the rat. And I, ugh, that, that sounds like something I would say if there was a rat at the table. And, uh, again, great dancing sequence, no stress, good bonding, but we also get to see Polka Dot Man. And when I first watched him dancing, I was like, oh no, he's going to let loose some Polka Dots. I didn't even notice that all of the people around him turned into his mom. 
uh, which was absolutely epic on that second viewing. So again, there's things that you're going to miss on that first viewing. you got to see them again. But this entire time, guys, King Shark was uh, hiding in the van. He didn't even get to come inside because he, he has no disguise. And that made me really sad. Like, there were so many times in this movie that I felt for King Shark for, again, another animal-type character that you shouldn't be falling for, but I was so scared that he was going to die. At so, Like, at this part, I thought that he was going to die in that van all by himself, and he's just kind of twiddling his thumbs in there, his little fins. Uh, but the, the military does show up, and they break in to try and get the Americans, and uh, they end up, while they're at this bar, the reason they're there is for the sake of the conversation, they are getting the thinker. He comes to this bar every once in a while, and so they grab him, but some of them, uh, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and Rick Flag, they all give themselves up as a distraction. So they're in the back of this uh, police car at this point, this military vehicle, and I, oh my god, I got... I got goosebumps the second time, like a fist bump. This is just was so good. He he's uh, Bloodsport's like talking to the the military guy, and he says he's saying these words, and I couldn't catch it on the other time, but he basically is saying he says like to kill a man in a single blow. Like is that is that possible? And the guy is like, oh, one single blow? Like, yeah, it's good in theater. Like, they're actually talking, which I thought was a cool. But then at that same time, Rick Flagg and John Cena are on each side. And he says, one on one, one. And they both punch the other two. Like, they knock everybody out right away. Totally badass. And then they get away. Like, it's such a good getaway scene. They're smashing into the front of the car, blowing up other places. And from there, once they're kind of free, we get the next scene transition, which says Operation Jotunheim. And then Rick Flag says, actually, wait a minute. We need to do one other thing first. And the Jotunheim disappears, and it says Operation Harley. And we get one of my other favorite scenes of this film, which is the Harley escape. Another very easy to mess up scene or not mess up but just to fall in that same pit hole that it 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 felt like and so again hats off to James Gunn for subverting our expectations because this team is coming to save Harley and I was getting kind of excited I'm like ooh, I can't wait to see how they kind of bust in bust her out she's probably going to knock some skulls no 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 he takes it one step further and says Harley can do this by herself and she totally can she's tied up on chains from the ceiling Uh, They're interrogating her, trying to get her to give away how many people she came with. And she's singing a great song that I didn't really know what song it was, but it's from Young Frankenstein, if any of you have seen that. Uh, Igor is singing this at one point. He says, I ain't got nobody, and nobody cares for me. Igor, Frodrick. And uh, so to hear Harley singing this song, I was like, no way. It reminded me of young Frankenstein. And she says, oh, there's 69 troops. I loved that. That, that, got, that got a nice from me. And uh, again, this breakout was just beautiful. But as the breakout goes, she's getting tasered. And she pretends to be knocked out. Uh, the guy leaves, leaving just one guard in there. She uses her legs to snap this guy's neck and then steal his key. She then uses her feet to, like a ballerina or a gymnast, like go all the way up to the lock that's above her hands with her feet and unlock it with her feet. Just gorgeous. She picks up a gun and just starts killing people. And as, as she's killing all of these guards... 
Uh, I believe it's uh, I'm gonna uh, what's his name? He's the guy that's uh, Prima. Uh, Louis Prima, I think, is the one who sings this song, but it's that song. I ain't got nobody, and nobody cares for me. I'm so lonely, and uh, I did not know that that he was the one who sang the song. I don't know if it's a cover, but it was a perfect song for the moment. And the you know she's literally killing just person after person after person, and gets to the spot where she starts like these flowers start coming out of her. Like the visuals are just amazing just incredible and i even took some photos of that with my phone i was like i gotta look at this for the rest of my life she finds her javelin and more flowers kind of come there's this cool like holy symbol on it and she starts using it to bust through everybody and just great so then we 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 come out and see uh from the outside the group is trying to get in and they're they're staking the place out and i I, uh, love this they're like okay do you see anything king shark says bird and there's a bird in front of him. But then uh, Peacemaker says, I've got a clean shot on the only one in the office, which was like, you know, an innocent bystander. And I just loved how he's like, I'm still ready and willing to kill this person. This is fantastic. And no, they don't do that. Eventually, they um, they basically just, uh, Harley shows up. She's like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're coming to save you. And she's like, oh my God, you're coming to save me? Like I could go back in. Would that be helpful? And uh, just, again, great, great teamwork, great team dynamic. And we get to the next scene or the next uh, transition, which is to Jodenheim through some beautiful kind of, um, I don't even know what the word is, but it's on it's on the top of a roof. And uh, all of the words of Jodenheim are made out of different pieces of, you know, wires and antennas in the roof, just super cool. And they're like, oh, you know, what about people getting... Um, you know, the, the cameras and uh, rat catcher says, well, don't you worry about that. And so you guys were probably thinking this entire time, when's Alex going to talk about a rat story? Well, here's, here is the rat story. So in this scene, these rats are chewing through the wires in, uh, uh, on these cameras. And I, I wouldn't be lying. I'd be lying if I told you that upon first viewing, I didn't call out, holy cow, that's just like what those rats did to my car <laughs> and everyone we were all having a good laugh about that so when I uh, about God how long ago was this five six years ago uh, my amazing Prius it's still here with us to this day uh, I couldn't I couldn't have had that Prius for more than a year and uh, something weird happened something strange something quirky I tried to start my car and it wouldn't turn on and I'm like locked in the uh, is this what happened? I mean, my car broke down like twice. It was weird, but uh, it was like the a- the AC was start. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, so I'm like driving, and uh, I don't want to put too much in your head, but uh, I'm starting to get a weird smell in the car. And at one point too, when I was switching between the um, you know, interior air and the exterior air you know the the thing goes and i'd heard some noises and i was like oh my god Uh, i have no idea what this is all of a sudden i'm getting the smell in my car took it into the shop and uh you know they can't tell me anything they're like we're you know we're clueless blah 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 well eventually we end up finding out as i file i had to file a claim with my insurance company for this and guys you you like you working for an insurance company as a claims adjuster at that time and having to call in a claim and them saying 
well, what is the nature of your incident? And me saying, well, it's not a collision. It's not, uh, it wasn't weather related. It uh, wasn't, you know, you know, there's really no one at fault except for a rat. And uh, yeah, so long story short, a rat crawled into my AC unit and was feasting on my AC wires. And uh, I will not elaborate on why there was a smell or why I heard noises. Again, uh, you guys are listening and you do not need to hear any of the, the intimate details of you know what happened to Edgar McCheese, who is what we ended up naming that rat. And uh, we had some fun Facebook posts with that rat. That's actually what partially inspired uh, my rat, my my brother's rat news was something else that we did. That's a separate story about um, people who actually found Mars rats, uh, which is really wild. You should look it up. There was a rock on Mars that was presumed to be a rat, and my brother and I ran with it. It was pretty wild. Some crazy stuff, you know, really crazy stuff happened. Anyway, I'm having a call into my insurance company saying, "Yeah, a rat chewed through my wires." And I'm literally, you know, oh, laugh it up fuzzball i'm the i'm the laughing stock of the office once again everyone's like hey alex that's a pretty cool rental car you're in guys i got to drive a camaro that was what my rental car was and they're like why <laughs> they should they're like you should just ditch your prius and get the camaro i'm like no it's the principle of the thing this this prius is going to be fixed the rats are not going to win i am going to win and i did and it was great and uh, so yeah, so I've had a lot of rats in my life. Uh, many of you may know about Ricky Rat. That's another rat that my family had discussed, which is uh, Mickey Mouse's actually really crappy cousin. Who um, he's he's got a thing for Minnie, but Mickey doesn't. No one really likes him. I think the only person who really likes him is Minnie, uh, and maybe uh, maybe like Pluto or Goofy, they probably, definitely Goofy, because he is Goofy, uh, he's just, he's, he's a jerk, Ricky Rat's a jerk, Edgar McCheese was a jerk, I've met, there's very few rats that I've met that aren't jerks, and maybe that's a, one of the reasons why I like them, is because they just have that, that do not care attitude, and you see that in this movie, uh, they don't, they don't care about anything except kind of like being cool, uh, they chew through wires, they chew through starfish, they chew through really anything, and I mean, they're very determined creatures too, I remember reading one time that the rats were like, if you threw a rat if in, in the ocean, it w- or is that what it is, if you, if you threw a rat in the ocean, it wouldn't die, it's, it's either that, or if you, you put a rat in something, it'll chew its way out of anything, like it'll constantly chew, even if it no, even if it's dying, it'll continue to chew, which is wild to me, so again, there's another fun rat fact, but we find that out uh, later on in this movie, that, you know, they're, they're chewing through all of these wires, and so uh, at this point, uh, and it's funny, I don't think anyone else noticed this when I was watching it, uh, but I was like, what the hell is Milton doing in here, and they're like, what, and I'm like, look, I just saw Milton run into this building, run into Jodenheim, why is he here, he's just a normal dude, and then, you know, kind of didn't think about it, but I also had an interesting call out here that there's a Humvee that is driving up the stairs to smash into this door, and there's no way that that would work, because the Humvee is going up these stairs, like, it'd be like climbing up a hill, like, it just doesn't work, it wouldn't, there wouldn't be enough speed, that's all I'll say about that, so when they're inside, their plan to destroy Jodenheim is to put C4 on all of the sides of this giant spire, and um, Peacemaker and King Shark are putting them on, and King Shark has made an amazing little C4 uh, statue, kind of like Fusili Jerry, 
of uh, of Peacemaker. And he's like, what are you doing? He says, quit being a play baby. And then he's like, he says, Peacemaker. And he says, that's actually very nice. Put it against the wall. It looks nothing like me. I, I, I just, God, Peacemaker was so great. And then we get into the next, uh, the next scene shift to Dirty Little Secrets, which we find out. And this part was interesting. We they walk into the caverns below, the the lab below with the thinker, and find out that he's been studying and and you know experimenting on this starfish for thirty years. And these starfish, when they attach to your face again, they control you, and it can can it can speak through your voice. So the starfish says. Um, is like acting like it's the victim. Oh my God, I've been in here for 30 years. They're trying to, you know, they've done everything they've wanted with me. Just the craziest stuff where I was like, okay, okay. And so then the thinker says, I've named, I've called him Starro the Conqueror, uh, which is a pretty cool name. I'm not a big DC head. I'm sure this is a character from the comics. I'm actually almost positive because I saw a spoiler of someone sharing the comic book cover that Starro was on. And it was like, cool dude you're so cool that you you know can spoil this for other people so i just i loved starro in general uh the pinks the blues the character so wild and at that point you kind of get that idea that okay now that luna is dead uh this is who the real bad of the movie is is starro and i'm i'm here for that because how is the suicide squad gonna beat starro so the, we then learned the dirty little secret, which is that the U.S. government, through Amanda Waller, sent them, the Suicide Squad, to cover up America's part in Project Starfish. Uh, that Americans brought the starfish to Earth to weaponize it, and they didn't want to test on the... Uh, on They didn't want to test in America. And so they moved it to... They made a deal with Cordo Maltese to do the experiments there, uh, there's a hard drive that has all of the records and information on it, and Rick Flag grabs that hard drive to release. He says he's going to release it to the press. Pe- Peacemaker tries to kill him, uh, was sent by Waller to do so, and I honestly it was the perfect person for them to pick because he says, keeping the peace is worth any price, including the life of a hero like you, so please don't make me do this. I loved that. I don't... I. I don't know if I've seen anyone say they didn't like Peacemaker. Maybe they did. But I loved Peacemaker. And I loved how, despite how obnoxious he was, despite how... He's kind of like a Thanos in that sense, where he has these morals that he follows. Uh, kind of like a Moon Knight or a, you know, pick your character who is a bad guy, but does those things because he believes he's doing a good thing, that he's trying to keep the peace. And in this sense, that's a pretty big peace to keep, right? Like if the world found out that there was a giant starfish, like there would be chaos. And that's kind of what he says. But uh, we get a great fight between the two of them, Rick Flag and Peacemaker, as it's being filmed in Peacemaker's helmet. Ugh, just couldn't get enough of that. Felt like Watchmen, uh, which is funny because there's some other sort of Watchmen pieces in this movie uh, when he, oh, well, yeah, when Rick Flag gets killed by him. So they're, they're fighting. I was really happy about this because John Cena got to wrestle. It really looked like he was doing good. And right when he was about to get done, he pierces Rick Flag's heart with a piece of the sink. And he says, Peacemaker, what a joke, and dies. Which sounded just like when the comedian says, it's all a joke. And again, you've got the Watchmen from the TV show of the helmet. And then even at the beginning, there was a little drop of blood on um, 
on Savant's ball at the very beginning in the jail. That reminded me of the drop of blood on the smiley button, the smile button, uh, which is, is that what it's called? Yeah, the smile, we'll call it the smile button. So at this point, though, Ratcatcher gets it. She gets the drive. And so now uh, Peacemaker's got to kill Ratcatcher. But she's like, no, fine, take it. Just destroy it. I don't care. And she's like, why? You don't need to kill me. Why are you going to kill me? And he says, because I'm thorough. And I really liked that line too. Like he just, he's a thorough guy and I can't wait to see his, uh, his series that's coming just cause I can get more John Cena. But from there we get the next transition that says eight minutes earlier. And we find out then why there's bombs that blew off early, all this stuff. Uh, we see King Shark meeting his new friends. Uh, he says new dumb friends. And, uh, we find out though that those friends are quick to betray him. We get a great line from uh, Polka Dot Man where he's walking and he drops some of the C4 and he says, ah, fizzle sticks, hold on. And right as he ducks, uh, and it re- very reminiscent of, uh, I, I think it's from The Godfather, but it's definitely from my family's version of The Godfather where uh, they're about to fire on somebody and the guy just ducks behind the counter as all of the bullets fly over him. It was very funny. A bunch of bullets fly and they kill Milton. And Polka Dot... Uh, gets really upset he's like oh my god you know Milton's dead and uh, you know the other characters are like who's Milton I thought Milton you know I thought he stayed back they're like he's been here the whole time and I was like I know he's been here the whole time I saw him go in uh, so I, I, I like to think that I gave Milton a little bit of my day in that regard uh, but some some more people come and they fight them polka dot shoots some of his polka dots but they're like wait no 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 and the polka dots hit the c4 and that's what causes the explosion to go off. Very cool way of explaining it. Uh, and because of that, the giant tank that those uh, jellyfish are in breaks. And those, again, those creatures turn on King Shark. Very sad. He All he wants is friends. But you can't kill King Shark. And I loved that. King Shark, not only is he getting chewed up by the jellyfish, he falls out of Jotunheim and just crashes onto the ground. And then he gets shot by all of the military and nothing happens. And I think that's because he's got shark skin. Uh, That's my, I mean, I'm sure that's the reason why, but I just loved that because every time I thought he was going to die and I was like, oh, I just really hope that he's not. And so it was really nice to see him get up from there and get so upset uh, to the point where he rips a guy's head off, eats them, uh, gets really mad. Uh, But then at the same time, we see, the three other squad members, Bloodsport, Polka Dot, and Harley, jump to safety after the top of the building kind of collapses. But Bloodsport falls and falls through all of the layers of this building, which was pretty intense. And when he gets down to the bottom, he sees uh, Peacemaker pointing his gun at Ratcatcher, Ratcatcher 2. And so he pull, and I love this. This was like a great... Uh, western type thing and it really truly shows you that uh, Peacemaker is no match for despite everything that you see in the beginning I think Peacemaker is no match for uh, for Bloodsport because Bloodsport's got they don't even really explain it but he's got this like alien tech so Peacemaker has his gun cocked and ready pointed at Bloodshot well it's pointed at Ratcatcher and he put all he has to do is point up to Bloodsport and shoot him Bloodsport has to grab his hip, create a gun, and then fire it. And they're able to do that at the exact same time. And Bloodsport's bullet is half the size of Peacemaker's. So it flies through his bullet and into Peacemaker's neck. 
And he's like, how? And he says, smaller bullets. So it's funny because Peacemaker was talking about smaller bullets, but wasn't following his own rules. And then we get the, I think this is the final piece of it, which is, it says Suicide Squad versus Starro the Conqueror. And at this point, Starro has busted out of Jotunheim, is coming for blood. And again, the, the colors on this really stick out. I loved this. And at the same time, we find the regime has died. So all of, basically all of the military people there get turned into the mindless zombies, the mindless starfish. But at the same time, the other people who would now be taking over are back at headquarters the freedom fighters show up and they're like, uh, nope, see ya. We're taking you out of power and kill all of them, which was really, um, I, I refreshing is the wrong word, but it really did feel refreshing because there's just this all this time never ends in the life of a, a dictator in that sense where and we've talked about it in the Loki episodes. When you kill the dictator, who fills that void? And there's just always that bit of like, oh, the bad guy's dead, but another bad guy's going to take over. And so it was really nice to see the good guys win, the, the freedom fighters who just want to live, finally take over and destroy all of them. That was great. But then we also get Waller, and I, I said Waller with the cold body because cold shoulder, uh-uh. She, her whole body is ice cold as her team, uh, they're done. Their mission's over. She says, your mission's complete. The evidence has been destroyed and you can come home. And they're like, well, wait a minute. Actually, we are going to help stop Starro. And she's like, if any of you do that, I'm going to kill you. And she's like screaming at them. And all of her admins are looking at her like, okay, this is too much. And so one of them hits, hits her over the head with a golf club and knocks her out. And the rest of them help the suicide squad. I loved that. I thought that was fantastic. And then uh, Bloodsport. So at this point, we see Bloodsport's final gun, which is so sick. He puts on like five attachments to this thing and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger it reminded me of like uh there's some marvel characters i'm trying to remember his name there's a, a forge from x-men where in cable too where they just carry those giant guns around just great and then he looks at polka dot man and says hey polka he said he doesn't say hey polka dot man but he says uh that up there that's your mom and same thing with king shark he says that is nom nom and so King Shark jumps on the giant starfish and is trying to eat pieces of it. And Polka Dot Man sees a giant version of his mom uh, punching the building. Wow. Uh, and so he throws his polka dots at one of the starfish legs and just demolishes the leg because those they're interdimensional polka dots. And of course, because it would have been too easy... He is killed right away. He is smashed right as he's screaming that he's a superhero. And it's ironic and in, in, in a good way because, again, at the end of the day, the minute, and I, I noticed this on the second viewing, all of them are have escaped Jotunheim and they're watching Starro walk away into the city. And Polka Dot Man could have easily just launched all of his Polka Dots at the back of Starro and blown its eye out. And that would have been the end of the movie. But it wouldn't have been as fun. So it was cool to see this. It was cool to see, yeah, he definitely is one of the most powerful people on the team. But no mas. And so from there, you know, we're struggling, guys. We're at this point in the movie where we're wondering, like, is there anything? Is there anything that can stop uh, this giant starfish? And all I've got to say is when I'm thinking about stars, uh, has any of you, have any of you heard of all rats live on no evil, rat, all rats live on no evil star, uh, which is a, a, is it a palindrome? That's, it's, it's spelled the exact same way forward and backwards, like race car. 
Uh, so all of the rats do not live on an evil star. Well, the, all of the rats decide to eat this evil star, which was just... I can't, I can't express to you how crazy it was to see, uh, not only from a cringeworthy level, there, there were at least a hundred rats that get called. And I, 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 I messed this up because I put that in my notes. That's like one of my favorite jokes is when I see a really large number of something, I'm always like, God, that's gotta be at least a hundred. Uh, it had to have been like a million rats, but they're all just climbing the legs of Starro and biting and ripping. And we get a little flashback of her dad. And he says, rats are the lowliest, most despised creatures of all. And if they have purpose, so do we. I loved that. And it made me appreciate rats a little more. So uh, I'd like to say this, Edgar McCheese, if you can hear me right now, I forgive you. This is a comics and cinema first. I've been, I've been holding a rat sized grudge since, uh, since God, 2014. I'm ready to let this go. And all of you listening are my witness. Uh, Edgar, I forgive you. And I hope you are eating as much cheese as you can wherever you are right now. So God bless and uh, peace out, my friend. So from here, the rats just wreck everything. And at the same time, Harley kind of realizes, oh, I know what my spear is for, what my javelin's for. So she busts through, and I'm skipping a bit of this, but she like throws herself through the eye of Starro and then all of the rats kind of follow her into the eye so that they can feast and they are feasting on all of the nerves and all of that stuff and Starro dies and this was again the easiest thing to go yeah all right screw you Starro like yeah Suicide Squad is great but Starro's last words from one of the mouths of the corpses says I was happy floating, staring at the... I was happy floating in space, staring at the stars. And I was like, well, dang it, James Gunn, now I feel bad for Starro. And at the end of the day, then, we truly know who the bad guy is of this movie, the United States government. Because without them, without them taking Starro out of space, none of this would have happened. And uh, just a bummer. And so then the movie kind of ends and we see that they've chosen not to give the footage, the records to Amanda Waller. They tell Amanda they are going to go free. And if any of them get hurt, if his daughter goes to prison at all, they're going to send out and disseminate it kind of like in Captain America Winter Soldier. And so she says, I knew, I told you I would make you into a leader. And it's like, Amanda, this is not about you. You do not get to turn this into a positive. But she says, you've got a deal. And so they go free, thank God. And the final scene is uh, them all on the on the plane flying back. And little Sebastian puts, uh, the other little Sebastian, puts himself on Bloodsport's lap, on his, on his knee, and... And I got to tell you guys, when he cuddled himself up on that knee, it reminded me of my cats. And I just got to tell you, in that moment, any grudges, any ill will that I have uh, harbored to any any rat in the rat family, and I'm I'm talking, um, I'm talking Stuart Little, I'm talking Radigan, I'm talking uh, Remy but also all of Remy's family in rat any rat that I've ever had ill will towards washed away in that moment and I thought to myself man I'd love to have a little rat crawl up on my leg and just sit there and and know that that rat was a good rat and that it was a clean rat maybe not a dirty uh plague plague type rat uh but I was okay with that and I and we see bloodsport petting him 
and the music saying something about you know learning to love me or love myself and what a cool message that he kind of gets over his rat phobia uh, at the same time that I'm sure a lot of viewers were getting over their rat phobia. I mean, look at me. I've I've turned a new uh, a new squeak, I guess you could say. I'm 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 squeaking a new tune a new tune when it comes to the rats. So not only that, it, it it's not enough. I I would say, and I I thought it was to me. I could have walked away from this movie happy, knowing that Sebastian made it out alive, and that he's now BFFs, um, or I guess BRFs, best rats rat friends forever. Uh, with Bloodsport, but no, no, no. James, he says you can have your cake and eat it too because we get a quick scene that Weasel is alive and he runs off into the woods, no doubt, to kill more kids. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing a Weasel Rat team up, uh, again, only if Sean Gunn can play both of them. But then once you get to the very end of the credits, there is an after credit scene and it is that Peacemaker is alive. Uh, and the people who resus- or like are there looking at him say that they need him to save the world. Now, was I surprised about that? No, because they had already announced the uh, the Peacemaker series for HBO Max. So again, uh, any chance that a movie these days has to have an, a really cool surprise is dwindling. It's getting so small, guys, and I, I feel so bad for these future generations who may not even have movies by the time we're done. It may just end up being clips. I, mark my words, this is, what are we on, comics and cinema episode, uh, well, whatever episode this is, you're hearing it here first. The future is coming, and that future is no more movies, uh, except obviously the ones that already exist. Uh, any new movie that comes out, Disney, Warner Brothers, they're not releasing it in theaters anymore. By now, you basically are paying Disney, Marvel, $50 a month for access to their entire library, and then they will release the movie in clips, every uh, a minute clips, just like they typically do. So you can just watch the movie on your computer in minute clips and then uh, pay an extra $50,000 to get it as a screen, uh, you know, free on Disney+, Plus, whatever you want to look at it. All I'm saying is, there's some directions that the movie, the movies are taking that I am not a fan of. But when this movie ended, I was not thinking about that at all. I was thinking about how much I loved this film and how much I enjoyed it. I don't know whether I like this better than the movies. I, I gave it an eight when I watched it, but when I watched it the second time, I thought uh, I might give this a nine. But if I give it a nine. That means that it's right up there with Justice League, the Zack Snyder's Justice League, Aquaman, Wonder Woman. So I need more time, guys. Don't don't hold me to these numbers. All I'm saying is I loved it and I really want to watch it again. So to me, that's a sign of a great movie. I'm not in the business of trying to rank it right now. I just wanted to know that it is sitting pretty in my list and I am really glad that it's there. So Suicide Squad overall, huge win. I would say. Huge win, not only for us as fans, but for James Gunn too. Uh, I know he probably knew it, but it's like confirmed at this point that James Gunn makes really good movies and that he can make movies for Marvel and for DC and the world doesn't blow up. Uh, to quote a uh, to quote Bo Burnham, um, you say the world's burning, uh, the world is ending, but it already did, right? COVID's already here. <clears throat> Movie theaters are all messed up, uh, but we're still getting our films one way or another to kind of pass the time and keep us entertained. And that's what I'm here for. 
hopefully to uh, entertain all of you and provide you with a little bit of insight on these films. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Comics and Cinema reviewing The Suicide Squad. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and uh, we will see you at the rat. (laughs) Thank you.